free download from Delancey Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 30 a.m. in the Delancey Eden Church building at the Banks in Simpsons in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Okay, John 15. And I'll just maybe spend the next. Uh, do a bit of a series, if you like, on, on embracing the Father. I just think one of the greatest needs, actually, is to really, really have a revelation and, and truly really embrace the Father heart of God. You know, it's one of those things that we kind of think we know, and yet often our hearts and the way our often responses and ch- the way we deal with issues in life often reveal sometimes we've never fully grasped what it means to be a child and a son of God. And that's what I want to talk about in the next few weeks. I want to talk this morning, I've called it Slaves or Sons. After we can live our lives with a kind of slave mentality, not really embrace the, the truth of who we are as sons and as children of God. Can you say amen? Anyway, John 15, verse 15. And I just feel that this morning, we're, you know, God wants to touch and minister to our hearts today. John 15, verse 15. It says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For the things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Father, I pray in these moments as we just look at your word, I pray a revelation, knowledge would flow into every heart today, that we would grasp of who we truly are today. I pray that we'd see our our identity. We would see, Lord, truly what is part of our inheritance, part of who we are. Lord, that we would see, Lord, the kind of father you are today and that we would embrace, as never before, your father heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, should we read that verse? The word there Servant is the word, is the Greek word doulos, which is the word slave. And Jesus wants to, if you like, elevate their concept. As people, if you like, still under the old covenant, they saw themselves as, as almost as a slave, if you like. They saw that they obeyed out of slavery. They did. If they did this, they were blessed. They didn't do that, they were cursed. And, and so there's this sense that they, they, they lived in this level of, of, of a slave kind of idea of, of God. And Jesus comes to elevate their position. He says, you're no longer in a sense slaves, that you, you do things be under legal obligation, but now I'm calling you into a place of relationship. I'm calling you that you are children. I'm calling you, if you like, into that place of, of relationship. That now you obey me, and how many know obedience is important? Jesus isn't devaluing obedience. He's actually asking the motivation for obedience. He's saying that now, out of relationship, that's how you obey me. You obey me out of love. You obey me out of, out of my Close intimacy walk with you. You see, the highest level of obedience is love. I think it was Mike Bickler who said that 
the greatest workers are the greatest lovers. In other words, that we, we work, we minister for God, not our obligation, but out of our love for him, out of our relationship with him, out of our understanding that he's our father. And out of that relationship, we begin to minister and work and obey him. And Jesus, if you like, is elevating their position. He says, now I'm calling you your children, not just slaves, but now I'm calling you into this new level of relationship, a new status. Throughout the Bible, God revealed himself by different names. And the reason why God revealed himself by different names is because through his names, he revealed his character. He revealed who he was. We can see so many names in the Bible. For example, El Shaddai. God revealed himself as, as the provider, the one who is more than enough, El Shaddai. He revealed himself as Jehovah, which means the, the self-existent one, the one that's always been, the one that keeps covenant. And so many times through the Old Testament, God revealed who he was, what his character was like, through his names. Jesus came to reveal, if you like, the highest form of God's name. He came with the greatest revelation of who God was. There were certain elements of it in the Old Testament, but never fully revealed until Jesus came. And he came to reveal who the Father was. That's what he said. I've come to reveal the Father. That's the name I've come to reveal to you like. And I want to show you what God is like, and he's like a father. And almost the greatest revelation of who God was, was left to Jesus to reveal it. He came to reveal the Father. He came to manifest and reveal what the Father was truly like. And it would be that revelation that would transform and change their life. It was that revelation that continually brought him into conflict with the religious leaders of the day. They could not conceive God as Jesus revealed him. The thing I love about Jesus, it was never complicated. How many have found that? So if you want to know what the Father's like, you know what he's like? You see, he's like somebody who's counted and knows every hair on your head. How many are saying, God, keep counting? <laughs> you know, that's what I'm like. I'm, I'm so, I know you so intricately, I even know how many hairs are on your head. For some of us, that's not too difficult, amen? <laughs> but that's what God came to reveal. He says, this is what God's like. This is what the Father's like. He says, birds, he says, don't be like the, 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 the birds in the air who worry about what they should do. And he says, don't be like them. He says, your Father cares for you. Every area, every dimension of your life, he cares for. So Jesus came to reveal the awesomeness and what the Father was like. I think many have never really had a real true concept or understanding of what, it lo- what it's really like to have God as a Father. Because without that revelation, we will live a life of slavery. We will be slaves rather than seeing ourselves as children. Can you say amen? Turn me to Exodus. Exodus chapter 1. 
verse 13 to 14. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigour. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage. In mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field, all their service in which they made them serve was with rigour. If we turn to Exodus 4, verse 22. Here's what God is telling Moses to say to Pharaoh. He says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, is my firstborn. So there's the children of Israel. For 400 years, they live under slavery. There are no prophecies. There are no miracles. No glimmer of hope. And they live under this incredible bondage of slavery. And the Bible says their life was made bitter and hard. They were living in slavery as if God had abandoned them. Moses comes on the scene and he speaks to Pharaoh and he says, the people that you treat as slaves actually are my sons. And the actual term he uses are firstborn. Those are, those really are the people of, of privilege. Firstborn was the one who had all the inheritance as the, as the privileges, if you like. And he says, Israel is my firstborn. Israel is my son. You see, you are their taskmaster, but to me they are my children. They are my sons. Often in life, I think so often, that, that we can still live. Even though we are sons, we can still live as slaves. Still live in bondage. But here's the amazing thing. God sees you as a son. That's the way he sees you. And so for 400 years, the children of Israel lived in slavery. But the reality was, even though they lived in slavery, they were in a place of sonship. 400 years, they lived that way. And then, if you like, God moves. God delivers them out of that situation. By miracles and signs and wonders, he, he, he brings them out of Egypt. By the hand of the Lord, they were brought out of Egypt. Isn't that wonderful? They could not deliver themselves. They could not help themselves. They needed the hand of the Lord and his hand to, to bring them out of Egypt. And here is the problem. Even though they came out of Egypt, the problem was Egypt never came out of them. Even though they came out of slavery, they still had the heart of slavery. They still had the attitude of slavery. And you see, for 40 years in the wilderness, there were attitudes of slavery. There were attitudes of a slave mentality that continually ruled them and controlled them and continually hindered them from entering into the fullness of what God had for them. They came out of slavery, but slavery really never came out of them. They came into freedom, but never fully experienced freedom. Because in their minds, in the attitude of their hearts, they still acted like slaves. There was, and you could see so many responses, so many attitudes that revealed that really, deep down, there were still slaves, an attitude of heart. The Bible, I suppose, terms it as an orphan spirit. That was the term of it. They, they, even though there were sons, they still were living as orphans. They still have an orphan spirit that limited their ability to come into the resources and the fullness 
of what God had for them. What is a spirit of slavery, if you like? I think you could term it as a, we would term it today, a victim mentality. That people who have an orphan spirit, people who are brought into this place of slavery, actually, the way we would term it is they are still people who have a victim mentality. And I think many today carry a victim mentality. What is a victim mentality? A victim mentality is where you never take responsibility. We always blame somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault of why the way we are. Could have been a teacher. Could have been a parent. Could be all kinds of people that we blame for our position, our condition. For others, we blame our past. For others, we blame things that happened to us. If that had never happened to me, then I wouldn't be as I am. If that hadn't gone wrong in my life, then I wouldn't be in that condition right now. And really, in essence, that is a a mentality that limits what God wants to do. Because here's the point. If we always blame somebody else, or always blame something else, or always look for something else as a reason for why I am, that means I can never be helped. I can never change. Because it's always somebody else who's keeping me in that condition. And you can see that. And so this kind of victim mentality can so easily grip people. And often it comes out in the way we talk, in the way that we think. This is how sons talk. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you say amen? A victim mentality talks like this. God can never use me. I've got no abilities. I've got no talents. How can God ever use me? I've messed up. How can God ever use me? A son talks like the fact, I'm an heir of God. I, I have incredible resources available to me. I am a child of God. Nothing's going to separate me from his love. A victim mentality says, this has happened in my life, and that's it, I can never progress, I can never go forward, because what's happened? And so often, victim, slave, orphan mentality begins to affect the way we think. It affects the way we perceive ourselves. It affects the way we perceive God. You ever thought about this? Because there's a the truth. Probably not one of us ever had a perfect father. You know, but the amazing thing is, now you have a perfect father. Now you've got an amazing father who loves you in a way you can never understand or imagine. Who cares for you in incredible, awesome ways who's constantly for you, who's constantly working on your behalf. You have now a perfect father. No matter how bad your past was, how bad your past relationship with with an earthly father was, now you've got this incredible, amazing father. Can you say amen? Who works and moves on your behalf. Here's the point. When we live with a victim mentality, when we live with a mentality of slavery, when we live with an orphan spirit, we live under fear. Fear has an incredible control of our life. We live insecure. We always feel threatened either by people or by circumstances or by things around us. We always feel insecure. 
We always are held by, by various bondages and things that control us and rule us. Circumstances overwhelm us. We feel constantly out of control. Why? Because an orphan spirit feels it's alone in this world. An orphan spirit feels, I haven't got the resources. I've got no one there to help me in this situation. And so often those can live under great fear and, and great bondage and great dominion. But when I know I'm a child of God, I know I have someone who's on my side. Someone who is working on my behalf. Someone who is there controlling my destiny. Who's, who, who's given me a destiny. Who's given me a calling. Who's given me an incredible place before him. Who's given me the amazing resources. Who's made all of heaven available to me. It's all there. Available to me. The Bible says we've been seated with Christ. And the Bible also says that, that, that we all, it says that all heaven's resources, we've been blessed. In all the heavenly places. That means all heaven's resources, all heaven's blessings have been made available to us. Why? Not because we've earned it, not because we've deserved it, but because of who we are. Children of the Creator. Children of the Most High God. Can you say amen? And that's our situation. Romans 8 verse 14. I suppose what I'm saying this morning that an orphan spirit, a slave mentality, if you like, you can't cast out an orphan spirit. You can't cast out a spirit of slavery, but you can change the way that you think and the way that you believe. Because an orphan spirit really is a result of wrong believing and wrong thinking. Look at Romans 8. Why is this so important? We're going to see as we go on. Because we tend then to look for the wrong things to find our value, to find our worth. Because we've never understood that our true value and our true self-worth is found in relationship with Father. Look at Romans 8, verse 14. I just love This is just so staggering, really. It's a verse we're so familiar with, yet the power of it is staggering. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again. In other words, you didn't receive a spirit of, of, a, of a victim. You didn't receive a, a, a spirit of, of, of slavery. A spirit of an orphan spirit. He says you received a spirit of adoption. By which we cry out, Abba. Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Isn't that awesome? I love this fact that Jesus made it possible for us to cry out, Abba. And many of you know the word Abba is the Hebrew word for daddy. It's the Hebrew word for the most intimate Word that you speak to God. Abba, Daddy. Daddy, you're my Daddy. And that comes as the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and reveal to you that you're a child of God. And almost the cry of your heart is Abba, Daddy. I'm close, I'm intimate with you. Abba, Daddy. A lot of people really struggle to 
say that. But that's what the Spirit is trying to work in you. So you're in a place where you can say, Abba, Daddy. The Bible says we receive a spirit of adoption. I kind of think there's a moment when we come into that understanding. That's almost a spirit of adoption grips us. And we have an understanding that we are valued. That we receive our, our worth by realising that we've been adopted and brought into God's family. I call the spirit of adoption a sense of affirmation. I believe Jesus at his baptism received a spirit of adoption. He received affirmation. This is my son whom I am pleased with. That was, that was a, an affirmation of who he was. And it's interesting, the one thing the devil tried to attack him over in the wilderness was that affirmation. If you are really the son of God, then do this and do that. In other words, his affirmation of his identity, who, who he was, was under attack right from day one. And the enemy seeks to undermine your identity. He seeks to remove the true affirmation, I'm a child of God. But the Holy Spirit comes in to begin to encourage us in that. The Holy Spirit comes to affirm who we are. To bring identity that you are truly a child of God. A spirit of adoption grips us. We know that we've been affirmed by God himself. And that brings the security. That brings the identity. That brings an, a, a, an understanding of who I truly am. I don't think you'll ever fully realise who you truly are until that spiritual adoption grips you. And from the depth of your heart, the core of your being, you can cry out, Abba, Daddy. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit brings us. That's the kind of experience that the Holy Spirit is constantly leading us into. This understanding, that revelation, that God is a Father. Can you say Amen? That spirit of adoption that grips us. And I found this. The more I get to know the Holy Spirit, the more I get to know the Father. And the more I want to glorify Jesus, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals to us the Father. The Holy Spirit reveals to us who Jesus truly is. We, we know Jesus in a greater reality because of the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings you into sonship. How do you measure Christian maturity, really? It's not necessarily by how much you know. The word there, those who are led by the Spirit, are sons of God. The word son there is the Greek word for, for mature sons. So the more the Holy Spirit controls me, the more the Holy Spirit leads me and directs me, the more mature I become. The more I grow into sonship. The more my walk with God matures. Not because I necessarily increase in knowledge, as good as that is, but also I, I'm, my life is being controlled and filled and led by the Holy Spirit that's continually revealing to me who the Father is, revealing to me what the Father's made available to me, and he's constantly directing and leading me in his ways. He's saying, Amen. And so this spirit of adoption, this work of the Spirit begins to work. The Holy Spirit begins to reveal who you are. And when you mess up, he says to you, he says to you, he says, you're a son, you're a king. You don't have to behave like that anymore. Because you're a king, you're a son of the Most High God. So why would you want to do that or behave like that? 
Because now you've got this glorious inheritance. You've got this glorious life. You've got this glorious resources that are made available to you. Turn me to Luke 15. So the Holy Spirit comes to reveal to us the Father. I want to get hold of this parable that we know often very well. But let's read the first few verses, first of all. Luke, Luke 15, 1-3. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so get, get this hold of, because it's important we understand this. I just love this thought, that sinners drew near to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Sinners, people who were really, who were the outcasts of society, never actually felt threatened by Jesus. Rather, they wanted to draw near to him. Isn't that amazing? Probably the greatest, most challenging term that Jews have had is a friend of sinners. Wow. Because people felt so drawn to him. His love and his compassion drew them. It was out of this criticism, and they said, you... You, you, you fellowship with sinners, you, you, you get connected to people who are outcasts. Out of that context, if you like, Jesus then tells three parables. But I want us to focus on the, the well-known one, the, the prodigal son. But not focus on the prodigal son, but I want us to focus on the elder brother. We often lose sight of the elder brother. Because so often, I think within all of us, there can be an elder brother. An elder brother syndrome. An elder brother syndrome is an orphan spirit and a spirit of slavery. That's what the elder brother is, as we're going to see. I want you to see some of the, the concepts of this elder brother. Verse 25 of Luke 15. So here's the, if you like, the attitudes of the elder brother. Just to remind ourselves, and I love this part, that Right now, the father's at, he's at a party. He's celebrating his son returning. I just love to think that God is a God of celebration. I just think, you know, we celebrate. We've got, you know, we've got, I know, the next few months, we've got a couple of dedications. We've got three babies on the way. And every time you see a new baby born, that's a good opportunity to have a, to have a celebration. Is that right? It's a celebration there when these things happen. The Bible says in heaven, God, has, God, God if you like, loves parties. He loves celebration. And every time someone gets saved, there's a celebration in heaven. Because God is so excited about people coming into a personal relationship with him. He celebrates. There's an incredible party in heaven. You think you may have gone to a few good parties here on earth. But I tell you, the parties in heaven are going to just blow your mind. Can you say amen? Such amazing celebration, such amazing joy is going to be right there. And here's what happens when the, notice this, he hears the celebration, he hears the party going on. He hears the joy. And he can't cope with the joy. He can't cope with this celebratory spirit. In verse 25, we pick up the story of the elder son. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew closer to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants, and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. 
So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment or any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. How many amazed he had any friends, amen? <laughs> but as soon as this son of yours came, he who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatty calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive, was lost, and now he is found. Now look at some, I want you to get a hold of this, this is powerful. First the thing is, it's almost this thing, Father, you didn't touch me like you touched others. Father, you didn't pour your glory out on what, what you, as you did for me. You never did miracles for me like you do for others. In other words, he had a no revelation of sonship. He just served the Father in the house. He had an orphan spirit with no revelation of the Father's love. He had an orphan slave mentality. And as soon as he heard the son had returned, there was no celebration. His heart closed up. I think a good way to measure whether we have an orphan spirit or an orphan mentality is often how we respond to setbacks and difficulties. Do we see them, if you like, as almost judgment on us all the time? Do we kind of cause ourselves to withdraw? Because that's often what happens. When you have an orphan spirit, the moment anything goes wrong, you close your heart and you withdraw. And you come into a place of isolation. You isolate yourself. Because an orphan spirit, if you like, feels a sense of abandonment, which results in bitterness in the heart. And when something happens that knocks them emotionally, they withdraw from relationships and connections and they begin to isolate themselves. Do you find yourself withdrawing? The moment of challenge, moments of you just want to pull away and you close your heart. Because at the core of the heart, there's this orphan spirit. You struggle with feelings of rejection, resentment and loneliness and isolation. And so every time we have a setback, we're unable to respond right because our reaction, our natural reaction is just to shut ourselves down emotionally, to cut ourselves off, to isolate ourselves, to pull ourselves back. Because of that spirit, that, that orphan heart, What's working there? What is the result? It's really a lack of the Father's love. And there's a void there which causes you to isolate and pull away, to distance yourself, to pull away. Here's the next thing. Notice this. He could not rejoice with others. Instead of rejoicing that his his brother had returned, he couldn't rejoice, he couldn't celebrate. Because he saw someone else being blessed rather than him and he could not rejoice over it. As far as he was concerned, it wasn't fair. In other words, an inability to rejoice with others is a sure sign of a lack of revelation of the Father's heart and his provision for you. Because often with the orphan heart, you think 
if, if somebody else has something, that means you don't get anything. You know what I mean? If they've got a blessing, that means I can't get a blessing because there's not enough to go around kind of attitude. Because you've never understood. With God's resources, there's more than enough for everybody. And that's often you find. A good way to test it. Do you rejoice when others are blessed? Do you say, I'm, I'm so blessed that you've got a new car, amen? I'm so blessed with the way you've been blessed. I'm so blessed that things are going so awesomely well for you. I feel really thrilled, really excited for all the blessings, all the things that have been poured into your life. And you just celebrate others' blessings. You celebrate others, other, other people's privileges. You celebrate when they're blessed. You celebrate when things are going well for them. But if you can never celebrate anybody else's blessings you're jealous or envious of what other people have then that's a sure sign that you never in your own heart have ever fully conceived and received of the Father's love notice this the other thing where he says I served you when we serve God for the praise of men or to find identity as long as our service is no longer motivated by God's love, then I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to have resentment and anger in our hearts. That will be the result of it. Because here's what happens. That we have a wrong... It's almost that we develop a, a performance-based Christianity. We think... The, more, the better we perform, the better we serve, the more God loves us. And the danger is we get our identity in what we do for God rather than who we are in God. Amen? We get our identity in what we do rather than who we are in Christ. And the moment that motivates us, then we have an elder brother syndrome. Because we're doing it with a wrong way and a wrong motive. That we serve God simply because we love him, amen? As I said earlier, lovers make better workers because we serve him out of love. We serve him and that's our motivation because we love him so much. We've got, we so want the Father to be glorified. That's why we serve him. That's why we love him. That's why we worship him. And that becomes our sole motivation. I think when people obey God, out of failure and rejection, not out of relationship. We're almost as the elder brother. We're in a field, notice this, outside of the father's house. In other words, because of his negative attitude, because of his self-love, because of his jealousy, it distanced him from the father. He was outside the father's house. He was distanced. He was, he was away from the father. And the moment we feel away from the father, then we begin to gravitate towards legalism and insecurity. I think one of the worst things, and I hate it, is legalism. And I'll tell you why I hate legalism. I've seen too many people destroyed and messed up by legalism. Can you say amen? I remember, I could tell you, I could tell you horror stories right here and now. But one story sticks in my mind. I remember this lady told me, when she was about 15... She didn't have many friends at school, but she had one friend at school. 
And for the first time, she was going to bring this a friend that she never had many of, going to bring her friend to church. And she was so excited that her friend wanted to come to church. She wasn't a Christian, but she was going to come to church with her. So she brings her to church, and the first, almost the moment she walks to the door, the first word someone says to this girl is, you've got makeup on, you can't come into this church with this makeup on. The girl walked out, and that girl, it took her 25, I think 20 so years before she ever came back to church, because she was so damaged by a spirit of legalism. What's that result of that? It's an orphan spirit. It's someone who doesn't know the Father's heart. It's someone who doesn't know the heart attitude of God. They are more concerned by outward exteriors than heart attitude. Can you say amen? And I think so many people, I've seen many people over the years being damaged by a legalistic attitude, a legalistic heart. That's an elder brother attitude that brings damage to the body of Christ. Can you say amen? And there's this older brother. He's driven to slave in his father's field to earn his position in the family. What he didn't realize, his position was secure, not because of what he did, but because of who he was. A son of God. Now notice this as you read his story through. There's no record that this young man ever asked for a party. It's almost this thing, I'll just work and hope people notice me. Hope God will notice me. And out of that, notice this, I think one thing that happens with an orphan heart, a slave spirit, is that this boy begins to be resentful to his father. And often I believe that where there's people of an orphan spirit, deep inside their heart, they are resentful to God. They resent God deep down. There's a resentment to God. Because they've never understood the, the true depth of his love for them. Because whenever we don't feel valued by God, don't feel valued by others. You know what we do when we don't feel valued by God? If we think we've got to earn and do this for God to be valued by him, the danger is then we, we, we place that same expectancy on others. And when others don't meet our expectations, then we become critical and judgmental of them. Because there's the other thing about an elder brother syndrome. An elder brother syndrome actually causes people to become very judgmental. You find when people have got an elder brother syndrome, they are very, very judgmental of others. They, they judge others continually. There's, 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 there's almost a, a spirit of judgment and they judge others for their situation. There's almost a they judge everybody. There's a, there's a judgmental spirit there, a critical spirit there that comes out of their own lack in their own hearts. And so you find often people have an orphan spirit, often are very critical and very judgmental because others never seem to match up their expectations because that's the way they perceive God sees them. Here's the next thing. Notice this. He became cold of heart. He said that I've been busy in this field. And almost his heart was cold towards his own brother. His own brother whose life had become such a mess. His own brother whose life was, was in a place of deep destruction. His heart was cold even towards his own brother. 
And elder brother syndrome will cause our hearts to get cold and hard. We lose passion and love for broken people. We love passion for the lost. We, we got no love or passion for the lost because this elder brother syndrome kills the love, makes our hearts cold. Here's the next thing. His response to the father. God says to him, you know what, son? And this is so powerful. He says, you're a child in my family. All I have is yours. All you have to do is ask. All the resources, all my power is made available to you. Because this to me is the most awful thing about orphan spirit. It means that because of the mentality of that, we never receive of what God has made available to us. Our mentality, our victim, orphan mentality holds us back from receiving all that God has for us. Because here's the amazing story. This boy, this elder brother, everything was his. It was available to him. It was there, right there for him. But because of his mentality, he was never able to receive the fullness of what God had for him. He longs for us today to enjoy all his love and all his grace, all his joy and enjoy celebration. To enjoy his loving embrace. Let me quickly close with this. How do you come out of an elder brother syndrome? How, 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 how do we get that out of us? Because all of us often battle with it. How do we get it out of us? How do we come out of an orphan type spirit? Here's the first thing. Recognize the symptoms. Are you striving to earn God's approval? Do you require perfection from all those around you? Do you have a devaluing attitude when people don't achieve perfection? Or when you don't achieve perfection? Do you have rivalry towards others? Is it jealousy? Is it a competing spirit in your heart? Is, do you feel whatever you do is never good enough? Just recognize the symptoms and say, are there symptoms in my heart of an elder brother? Are there symptoms in my heart of an orphan spirit? Here's the next thing. Move to a state of repentance that reaches the core attitude of the elder brother. Ask God to forgive you for believing a lie about his nature that thinks you've got to earn to gain his acceptance. I think the one thing the enemy is doing is the father of lies is continually lying to us about the loving nature of God. We need to resist and and recognize and and repent when we've had wrong ideas and wrong concepts and wrong attitudes about what God is and what God's the father heart's like. Here's the next thing. The third thing is see yourself the way God sees you. I just thought the other day, imagine what it would be like if people lived according to what God thinks about them. Imagine what it would be like to have a church completely driven by passionate love for God. A people whose self-esteem is not based on what they do, but is based on who they are with God. Amen. So begin to say, God, help me to begin to see myself as you see me. And the more you see yourself as God sees you, the more liberating, the more that mentality begins to be broken and freed from our lives. And here's the last one. Relinquish anger. Relinquish jealousy. Relinquish judgmental attitude, which so often we can cling to. 
We just relinquish that junk. We relinquish that stuff. And begin to embrace Father's love. And live out our true identity of who we really are. Ever thought about who the first orphan was? You know who it was? It was the devil. That's why he is released into our, into our world, an orphan spirit, if I use that word. You know, one thing strikes me often, because the reason why the enemy does that, because he knows that once people live under that kind of, that kind of blanket of that attitude, they never come into all that God has for them. And I think, you see, the enemy's constantly battling and trying to put that on us. But the West ways to throw it off and say, Lord, I receive the Father's loving embrace. He shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. And you just receive it, you welcome it, you let it work in you, and you just throw that junk off and begin to live out your identity, live out your father, live out your, your sonship before God. I tell you what, that's where revival comes. I think revival comes when people know who they really are. We'll never experience the fullness of revival as long as we live under the power and control of a, of a slave or orphan spirit. Revival begins by recognising sonship and who we are. Let's just stand right now. Just thank you right now and just recognise that. We want to shake that stuff off. The father of lies tries to devalue what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So we want to shake all that stuff off and embrace fatherhood, to embrace his father heart, to embrace sonship and embrace our true identity of who we truly are. So I'd say right now, Father God, reveal to me your Father heart. Let's be driven this morning by the by the Father's love, by the Father's affections. Driven by his heart towards us. How we're loved and cherished and valued by Father in heaven. You know, nothing else will satisfy the, the, the heart. We'll always be dissatisfied. We'll, we'll never fully feel content until we really embrace the Father's heart and the Father's love. Just welcome a spirit of adoption that will cause you from the core of your heart to cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah. say, Father, today, give me a revelation of you and of who you are. Lord, I pray right now, God, just, Father God, just give us a revelation of your Father heart towards us today. Father, we want to shake off any elder brother syndrome. We want to shake that off. We want to shake off anything of an orphan spirit. We want to shake off anything of a, of a spirit of slavery off our hearts and off our lives. And Lord, we want to come into the fullness and embrace all that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, these are, great, these are days where you are pouring out your spirit. Thank you, that, Lord, that you are, you are working in the sons, of, the sons of the living God. You're working, you're raising us up as to be, to be children who live out of, out of our inheritance and live out of all the privileges and response, all the privileges, all the potential that you have poured in us as a son of God. Lord, we thank you today. Lord, that you've brought us into your family. Thank you, Lord, we're in the family of God. Thank you, that Lord, that we who deserve nothing have received everything. Thank you, that Lord, that we can never earn your love. All we can do is receive it. 
and embrace it and live it out. And Lord, as we receive your love, we would want to pour your love out to others. Oh Lord, we ask right now in your mighty name. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.